Have you ever seen an unbelievable claim put to the test? What happened? Did it pass the test? Did it fail the test? Uh, Rachel and I visited the annual Got Talent Night at Youth a couple of months ago, uh, and there was this one young guy uh, who he got up and he claimed that he could perfectly and accurately identify over 100 different flags at random. Now, I thought that this was a ridiculous claim. Like, he would make mistakes, he would get it wrong. Um, So he had these flags printed out, right? It had the flag on one side and the answer on the other side. And he got a leader, a Murray, who I know is unbiased and fair and wouldn't cheat or anything. She came up and and she held them. So she would just have the flag facing him and she would see the answer and she would toss it away. And now, I thought this was an impossible challenge. You know, there's no way someone could get 100 different flags at random after Murray had just shuffled them. That just, some of those flags are so similar, you know, sometimes the colour that way and then the colour that way. And anyway, he, he would definitely need hints. He was going to get a couple of things wrong. But then, like, he started off strong. He just rattled off names. He'd see a flag and just, just like that, got them. Maybe there were a couple, maybe four or five times. He's paused to think and then got the answer right anyway. And he got through all 100 flags in under five minutes. Like, I was mind blown. How, how, how could someone do that? He, he set himself this almost impossible challenge, and he took the challenge, and he managed to pull it off. Well, our passage today is kind of similar, but far more impressive, because it describes a humanly impossible test following an even more incredible claim. We're in a short series called Tempted and Tried uh, on Matthew 3 and 4. Now, Matthew is a gospel. It's, it's a book in the Bible about Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, and so we're in chapters, chapter 4, and in chapters 1 to 3, the reader is introduced to Jesus, and some immense claims are being made about Jesus. You know, it claims that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the saviour of the world. He is the one who could fix the problem of sin. Last week, Adam unpacked uh, the account of John the Baptist in chapter 3 there, where John is preparing the way for Jesus, and as he baptises Jesus, heaven breaks open and the Holy Spirit descends, and the voice of God says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, that's a very big deal. For Jesus to be the promised perfect king and saviour whom God's people had been waiting for for so long, that seems like an impossible claim to live up to. So, in these very next verses, Jesus proves the claim by allowing himself to be tested by the most enticing of tempters in the most difficult of circumstances. And here we're going to see Jesus doing two things. He's going to be doing what only the Messiah could possibly do, what we could never do, acting as the promised king of God's people, the saviour of all people, in fact, God with us. And he's also doing what no other human has ever done, which is to perfectly resist all sin, instead obeying God's will completely. So we're going to be encouraged Because Jesus is the one who has resisted temptation. He is perfectly qualified to be our king. And we're also going to get some insight because we can model Jesus as we face the temptations which lie in front of us. So please keep that passage open. Look at it carefully because 
if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that we all continue to face temptation. We're tempted to sin. We're tempted to disobey God every day. And it shows us Jesus' victory over sin and temptation for us and his example to us. And if you're not a Christian, then you get an insight into how it is that we approach this issue of sin and wrongdoing that that we all still wrestle with. And maybe you'll see in Jesus the Savior who stands in your place. So for everybody taking notes, for everybody taking notes, kids listening, we'll be unpacking the passage in the three sections that it gives us, the three lessons that we learn from the three temptations which Jesus overcomes. So here's the first one. Got the pencils at the ready, kids? The first test, the temptation to turn stones into bread, is about trust in God's provision. It's about, got that, trust in God's provision. As our passage opens in verse 1, we see Jesus being driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Now, this is what the wilderness of Judea looks like. You know, it's not like the bush where there's trees and animals and all that sort of stuff around. It is dry and it is barren and there is no food, no water, no shade. And Jesus is sent here to be tempted as a test to prove his identity as the saviour. And this first test starts with Jesus doing what only he could do, following a, followed by a challenge that only he could achieve. So he begins with a fast in this desert lasting 40 days and 40 nights. And we read there, after this, he was hungry. You know, I feel like that's a bit of an understatement. I bet Jesus was hungry after that. For him to be sustained in that desert through this time, that's a miracle in itself, Right? A human body just can't do that. So God is miraculously sustaining Jesus here. And Satan's first temptation is for Jesus to stop trusting in God's provision. The tempter, as he's described, he arrives with no introduction and he immediately challenges Jesus to turn the desert stones around him into bread. Now, Jesus' fast, along with the temptation to produce miracle bread, you know, these are parts of the testing which are unique to him as the Son of God, all right? It's not a challenge for us to go sit for 40 days in the desert and turn stones into bread. No, it's a marker that Jesus is doing what we physically can't do, which is good because I definitely wouldn't pull that off maybe for longer than a day. If you're like me and struggle after food after a few hours, you can probably appreciate that we don't have to do what Jesus is doing here. But even if we could, like, what, what is so wrong about this temptation? You know, Jesus is really hungry. He is the Son of God. The devil rocks up and says, turn these stones into bread. It seems like a bit of a no-brainer, right? What's, what's the big deal with just making bread? He can. Well, it's the same sort of big deal that the fruit was in the Garden of Eden. Do any of the kids here know what happened in the Garden of Eden, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden? You know, where Adam and Eve were given the whole world to enjoy and there was only one way that they could choose to disobey God and rebel against him, and that was by eating the fruit. Now, the, the fruit itself inherently wasn't bad, right? But breaking God's instruction to not eat it, that was wrong. So what was wrong with turning rocks into bread? The same thing. It was wrong because it was against God's command. Jesus could turn the stones into bread, but doing that would be Jesus using his power for his own personal comfort. And Jesus never does that. 
You know, later on, Jesus would miraculously provide food, bread and fish, and, but that's not for himself. That's for other people. He uses miracles only for their intended purposes, as signs to prove his identity in a way that blesses his people. So turning stones into bread, that's a temptation which only God the Son could face. But we can learn from Jesus because we face temptations of a similar kind, right? To look beyond God's expressed will, his commands for us, in order to provide for ourselves. Temptations where the big deal isn't doing what we want to, but it's a big deal to do what we want to outside of God's command. And there are so many ways that, that we could be tempted in this way. Now, what are, what are some ways for you in, in your life? Maybe in our careers, in the workplace, we might just invoice a little bit more. We might twist the truth kind of around our business or a product and, or otherwise compromise our morals to meet our targets. Maybe your parents' kids might leave you at home on the holidays and you know that you've been given a list of jobs to do, but the iPad sounds a lot more fun. Uh, at church, as Christians, maybe we can be tempted just to skip past that whole serving thing because it uses time that we could be using to, to benefit ourselves. Or maybe just the temptation to take that old sneaky five-finger discount at the Woolly self-checkout. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. There's all sorts of ways that we can be tempted to stop relying in God's provision. Now, as well as perfectly resisting temptation, Jesus' model also shows us some important principles for fighting temptation ourselves. Because all through this passage, Jesus responds to the words of Satan with the word of God. And his first quote makes that point, right? He quotes Deuteronomy 8, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is God's word. It's an essential weapon when we face temptation. So are you grounded in it? Are you grounded in scripture? Are you rooted in God's word? Do you read it and soak it in and push it into your heart so you're ready? Because when we're faced by temptation, we must be ready to respond with the word. When God's word is stored up in your heart, it's not very far from your lips and from your mind to respond. So Satan sees how Jesus uses Scripture, and so he, he readies his second temptation. He picks up Scripture as well, and he starts to twist it to his own end. And in this second part, we see Jesus. Did the kids catch that? In this second part, second point, we see Jesus trust in God's protection. Trust in God's protection. That's what he does. Jesus resisted the first temptation because he trusted God's provision, trusted God to supply all that he needs. So Satan's playing on that now and twisting scripture. And we're reminded here of the importance of using God's word well, as well as the danger of those who seek to misuse it. Because Satan now takes up Psalm 91, a little verse out of context there, and he challenges Jesus to leap from the top of the temple where they suddenly are. Now, the top of the temple isn't a short drop. There's a reconstruction of the temple. See the tiny little people on the ground? All the way at the top of that temple. That's a big drop. 
So, Satan reckons, what better way to prove that you're the son of God than to jump from the top, land on the stones at the bottom, and just miraculously survive? You know, Satan points out, if he's the son of God, angels are watching over Jesus. And, you know, the steps are a really long way down, and who likes steps? So just jump down, land at the bottom, and ta-da, everyone can see that you're truly the son of God. But Satan's application of the passage ignores its context and the context of all of the Bible, which not only warns believers to expect harm and difficulty, but prophesies that the Messiah, Jesus himself, would suffer and die for his people. As one author writes, according to the devil's theory, there should be no martyrs, but the divine purpose for Jesus, as for certain others, is that they should be preserved through death, not from death. The temptation here is to manipulate God for a miracle, to try forcing God's hand to to act needlessly as proof of his protection. And yet again, Jesus responds with Scripture. You know, this time he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The temptation to make God prove himself, if he really cares, to put God to the test, that's a common temptation, right? Maybe you've given God a similar challenge. Maybe you've told God that he has to make a minor miracle happen to prove that he really is there, to prove that he really loves you. You know, a few grand under the pillow, maybe. Or perhaps the undying affection of a particular girl, Whatever it may be, challenging God to show his power to satisfy your desires as if the creator and sustainer of all things is just a genie at our beck and call. And this specific temptation to test God by throwing away life, that's one which has been slipped into many, especially those who battle deep depression, right? A similar thought has not only entered Jesus' minds, but perhaps even some of our minds here today. The thought that if God really has more for you, you know, if he really is there and cares, you know, he'll stop the impact of that rock or that tree or that drop. So just do it because he'll stop it if he really cares. Maybe you have thought those sort of thoughts. God is good. God is in control. As we read, as Jesus says, not a hair falls from our heads without the will of our Father above. And while there are many times in our lives where we just don't understand what he's doing and we don't get why he's doing it or especially why he's not doing it, We will never find ourselves in a position where we have the right to challenge God to prove his protection because we will never find ourselves in a position in life where he has stopped protecting. There will be times of testing and times of incredible difficulty, but even at those times, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, that new song that we just introduced today describes this really well. He is my strength when I cannot go on. Peace when all my power is gone. Hope, although the night is long and deep. He is my song, for he has rescued me. Joy, now he has set me free. 
Praise, praise to my Father be. My God is all I need. Satan will tempt us to, to, to test God's promises rather than trusting him. But God's protection has already been given the ultimate proof, and that is Jesus given for us. So Satan sees this, and he gives up on his roundabout, twisting methods of temptation, and he goes straight to the point. He offers Jesus rule over all the kingdoms of the earth in exchange for serving Satan. And that's our third and final point. We see Jesus worship only God. Got that, everybody? Third one, worship only God. So this third temptation, that gives Jesus a way to have his place, you know, reigning over the world, but without needing to go through all the pain of suffering and dying for us on, on the way. You know, it's a way to skip straight to the good part, offering him a fraction of what is his anyway. Jesus is the rightful king of all creation, and his inheritance is so much more than Satan could offer. Unfortunately for us, Jesus again resists this temptation. He is committed to going through what he must for the sake of his people. So he puts his mission first, setting himself and his own wants and needs aside because he never fell. He never gave in, not here, not ever, all the way to the cross. And so for all of us who face temptation and who continue to battle daily, to do what we know is right, and to continue to make mistakes and get things wrong. We're encouraged because Jesus has done this for us. He is our perfect king. He is our promised savior. If your trust is in him, he has paid the penalty for all your sin. You know, like Adam unpacked for us last week, if you were here, a real faith in Jesus is one which will naturally lead to good works, to doing the right thing. Not that we will suddenly be perfect, but that we'll begin to reflect Jesus because we know Jesus, once we have been saved by Jesus. So as we face temptation, we do so not as a way of being saved, right, but because we have been saved. And as we continue to fight, we can face temptations like this third one as well, to to compromise and to do what we know is wrong just for an easy way around the hard bit. Uh, For some just sort of empty and shallow immediate reward, which isn't anything like what God offers us. You know, perhaps to to release our pent-up frustration at that really irritating work colleague, despite the damage that it might cause. To compromise on our academic integrity and just use ChatGPT and a couple of quick edits to get that assignment out of the way. To open up the internet browser and take a brief pleasure in an empty mockery of God's good gifts given for marriage. When we consider all the ways that we fall for this trick, we've got to appreciate the response that Jesus gives and and take it to our hearts. He says there, get away, Satan. He firmly and finally rejects the devil's temptations. But he doesn't just stop there he again returns to Scripture a final time for his final rebuttal. Now he's in Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The heart of this temptation, and really the heart of all temptations, right, is whether we're going to serve only God, put him first in our hearts, or whether we're willing to put other idols and other things above him and, and listen to what they tell us to do. 
as Jesus would later teach, a man can't serve two masters. And here Jesus holds firm to following only God, grounding himself in God's word to do so. Are we going to learn from him? Are we going to model him? We've already failed in many ways. I know that I have, and I know that none of us can do what Jesus has done and resist all temptation. But because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, we're given his righteousness, and then we're called to live that out. And so our passage ends there with with Satan backing away for now. Jesus is cared for by angels before he goes out to launch his ministry. And, as is often his pattern, Satan goes back to lurking, ready to pounce at the next opportunity. And Jesus continues on his path to the cross for us. So for us, as we often and easily fall into temptations, we see that it's not a hopeless struggle. When we're in Jesus, we can hold to him. We can denounce the devil. James 4 verse 7 there, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We can resist temptation, but sometimes we will fail. And this passage is good news for us because Jesus has done this perfectly. He has faced temptation. He has resisted. And more than this, he hasn't done it just as a model, just as a great man, but he has done this as the son of God, facing temptations greater than we ever could so that he can take his rightful place as our king and our savior. He persevered in his mission all the way to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. He has clothed us in his righteousness and he now reigns in glory, always to intercede for his people. So as we battle temptation, we've got to look to Christ, model him as we fight and cling to him when we fail, holding firm to the word of God, because in the word of God, we see clearly the Son of God. As we close, let me read a verse from an old hymn which captures this truth really well. Before the throne of God above, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you We praise you because you have done what we never could. You have perfectly resisted all temptation, temptations far greater than we could ever face. And Lord Jesus, we thank you because you have shown us not only how to to model you as we fight temptation, but you have shown us that it is not up to us, that you have faced the enemy for us, that you have taken our place, that you have paid the penalty for all of our sins. And so, Lord, we look to you, we cling to you. Lord, we, re- we repent for all the ways that, that we have failed where you would not have. We ask for your forgiveness. And Lord Jesus, for all of us here who perhaps have not yet placed our 
our trust fully in you, who don't know you fully yet, Lord. We ask that you would work in in our hearts, Lord, to bring us to you, Lord, that, that all may know your goodness in each and every one of our hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen.